Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, if you've got those sermon notes, we're going to attack this beatitude the same way that we have all of the rest. And we're going to begin by talking about what does it mean to be merciful. And uh, I, I told you when we began the study, I find it very helpful to know what a word is not. And so we're going to start there. Let's talk about what mercy is not, or what, what it what it's not, uh, what it doesn't mean to be merciful. Number one, being merciful is not the same thing as being easygoing. Is being easygoing. Maybe you know somebody that's easygoing. Easygoing people are known for either not seeing things, or when they do see things, they act like they didn't see things. Basically, they're known for letting things slide, right? That's somebody that's easygoing. They're not big on the law. They're not big on rules. They don't really care about those things. And so they kind of are known for looking the other way. And, and maybe you know somebody like that. They're just easygoing by nature. I, I, there are times I wish I was a little more that way with my kids, you know, that I just could let a few more things slide, but I don't. Um, but but that, that's, that's, that's what it is. And so when we hear easygoing, we, we tend to think, well, that's what mercy is. Mercy is just kind of letting some things slide. But there's a big problem with that, okay? And two reasons. Number one, the first reason that that's not what mercy is, is because easygoing, that's a natural disposition. That's something that people are naturally born with. They're naturally laid back and easygoing. Anybody know anybody like that? Anybody know anybody like that on staff? Works with you? I, I love you. I love you. Uh, yeah, I, I, there are times that I'm like, Travis, I wish I could be as easygoing as you. I'm all like, I try to take a nap. Anybody do that? Does anybody like naps? Come on, be honest. Right? Yeah, I like naps. The only problem with them is mine only lasts 15 minutes. I don't know what they, I lay down. I'm like, okay, I'm up, I'm up. What needs to be done? I can't rest. I, it's driving me nuts. I didn't used to be that way. It's just who I am now. Uh, but, but that's a natural disposition to be easygoing, not to let things get to you so much. Okay, that's natural. But these aren't natural qualities. These are supernatural spirit qualities. So it's not that. Okay, secondly, and a bigger reason why um, being merciful is, is not the same thing as being easygoing is, is because these are all attributes of God. And, and, and hear me, guys. God isn't looking the other way. God doesn't let things slide. God is merciful. God is loving. But He is also holy and just, right? That, that he, He's righteous. God is all of those things, and He is as much one of those things as He is the other. And if God were to look the other way and let things slide, then He wouldn't be God. Then He wouldn't be God. So God is all of those things. So it can't mean, when we say, blessed are the merciful, it doesn't, it's not talking about people that are just going by okay. Number two, when we, when we say blessed are the merciful, when we talk about mercy, we're not talking about grace. We use those words interchangeably a lot when we study the Bible, but they actually mean different things, okay? So here's the most simplistic definition I can give you uh, this morning. Uh, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, okay? So let's say you commit a crime, and you go before a judge, all right? Love you, Pete. And go before, he's retired judge now, okay? But let's say, and you go before a judge, and the judge says, you know what? You are guilty. You are guilty as charged. But then when it comes time to, to dole out the punishment, sentencing, he says, but I'm going to withhold your punishment. I'm not going to punish you. Now, that's mercy, okay? You committed the crime, but you don't have to pay the time. Like, somehow, so he, he just, I'm going to be merciful to you. You're not going to get what you deserve, okay? 
But grace, it's a step beyond that. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So here's grace. Same judge, same crime. You commit a crime, you stand before the judge, he sentences you and says you are guilty. But not only does he withhold punishment, instead he awards you $5 million and says, I want you to go start a new life. Right? That's the kind of judge I want to stand before, right? That kind of judge that says, listen, you haven't done anything other than what's wrong, but hear me, I'm going to award you and I want you to go start a new life walking through this life. That's, that's the difference, okay? And those two things are very, very different. I heard it this way. Grace always deals with the sin. Mercy always deals with the results of the sin. It always deals with the pain and the misery and the distress. They address two different things, okay? Number three, being merciful is not the same thing as meriting or earning mercy. Being merciful is not the same thing as meriting or earning mercy. Now, when we when you read this beatitude, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but often when I hear that, I automatically think about Matthew 6, 14, and 15, which are also in the Sermon on the Mount. So since we're already there, just, just go over a page and read Matthew 6, 14, and 15 with me. Uh, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. And he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Will not forgive you. Now you hear that? That's pretty heavy, heavy stuff. And we read that, and and we think about this beatitude. Well, blessed is he who is merciful, he'll be shown mercy. And we start kind of thinking, well, maybe mercy and forgiveness are something that we can earn from God. Maybe there's something that we can earn from God. Maybe that's how it works. Maybe we have to earn the mercy of God or earn the forgiveness of God. Great problem with that, friends. If that were the case, none of us would ever be saved. None of us would ever be saved. Because we can't earn forgiveness. We can't earn grace. We've done nothing to deserve it. Are you following me? We've done nothing to deserve it. And and, and so it it can't be that. And people say, well, so what does this mean? What is it saying? Well, let me explain it like this. Okay, here's the point of it. We cannot receive the mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent, right? You following me? Unless you repent, you're not forgiven. Are we there, right? You know theologically how that works, right? Okay? So, so the Bible teaches that people pray all kinds of prayers, but God's not listening until we repent. Until we say that prayer, God, I am sorry, I repent of my sins, I need you, it, it's just bouncing off the ceiling. So we have all kinds of people in the world today that pray and they wonder why their prayers aren't being answered. God's saying, I'm waiting for you to confess your sins to me and to repent, okay? So that's when we enter into a relationship with God, just starting right then and there. Okay, now, now, listen, unless you repent, now, now, we can't claim to have repented of our sins if we hang on to bitterness and anger and, and envy and all that stuff, right? So if we're not forgiving others and we're not showing mercy to others, have we truly repented? The answer is no, Okay? If, if you can't forgive someone else, then you truly don't understand what God has done for you, and you haven't truly received the forgiveness of God. Are you following me? Because if you've really received the forgiveness of God, and you understand that your sins, that the paycheck of your sins is death, which is hell, by the way, eternal separation from God, and you understand that God has mercifully acted on your behalf and provided a Savior for you, graciously, it's not anything that you've done, it, it, it's not a work that you can do, but it's a free gift of God, once you understand that, then you've got to react out of it. The natural outflow of understanding and receiving that is, is, is a change in your demeanor that now you are willing to forgive others as well. Do you follow me? 
And so, so what it's saying, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It, it, it's saying, listen, if, if we've received it, if we've truly received it and we understand it, then we are going to be people that are known for extending it as well. Extending it as well. Okay? So it's not the same thing as meriting or earning mercy or grace. That's not what we're talking about. I love what John Stott says. This is one of my favorite quotes of the whole morning. You might want to write it down. He says, to be meek is to acknowledge that we are sinners. We talked about that a few weeks ago. To be meek is to acknowledge that we are sinners. Ready? To be merciful is to have compassion on others. For they are sinners too. Don't you love that? That's what it is. To be merciful is to have compassion on others. For they are sinners too. For they are sinners just like me. That might be your way of so that's what mercy is not. That's what it—that's what being merciful is not. So what does it mean? What is it? I've got four things for you. So that's a lot of things, Pastor. I tried to trim it down to two. I really did. I was like, I'm just going to define it in two. I couldn't. So deal with it, all right? Suck it up. Suck it up. Start writing. Here we go. Number one. Number one. What does it mean to be merciful? It means relating to people in need with compassion. Relating to people in need with compassion. When John Calvin studied this beatitude, this is how he uh, this is how he addressed it. This is what he wrote. He says, "They are blessed <coughs> who not who are not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but also take on other people." Okay, they are blessed who are not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but also to take on other people's. Basically, he said. You know, here's the blessed people. They're the people that are dealing with struggles in life, but despite their own struggles, they're willing to get down and dirty into the struggles of fellow man and help them out as well. They're not so focused on their own dilemmas that they're not willing to help out other people that are having dilemmas. Okay? And and I asked the wolves if I could talk about them this morning. I think it's a perfect example. Brand new baby in the house. That's challenging enough, friends. All right? That alone there is like, ah, we want to pull our hair out, right? Everything is an art. Like, maybe not for y'all, but in our house, baby in the house, like all of a sudden, you know, we talked in the marriage conference about escalating when, when, when it's like, a, hey, could you put your shoes up? Why do I have to put my shoes up? You never put up your pants. And you just, wow, like where did that come from? And you're just escalating the argument. And you don't even park the car in the right place. If I didn't hang that tennis ball, you'd wreck the garage. And then we'd have a huge living room. I could get a bigger TV. And it's like, wow, wow, wow. Right? Now, when we have a baby in the house, we tend to escalate. That's how we are. So check this out. These guys have a brand new baby in the house. And in the midst of that, a dear friend loses their house to a fire. And in the midst of having a new baby in their house and all the struggles and trials that go with that, they offer their home up to these people that have lost their home. What is that? That is mercy. That's what it is. That is mercy. It is the, it is the most pure biblical definition of mercy I can give you. It's having your own troubles in life and then seeing somebody else in trouble and choosing to step down into their trouble and help them out in life. That's what mercy is. It's a great Number two, mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and the helplessness of the one on whom the love is to be showered. We say it again, it is a loving response prompted by the misery and the helplessness of the one on whom the love is to be 
shower. Grace deals with sin. Mercy deals with the results of sin. It deals with the misery and the hurt and the brokenness and the helplessness. And so seeing people that are miserable, seeing people that are hurt, seeing people that are helpless, and then responding to them how. The key word, it's the second word there, responding to them lovingly. And friends, we respond to people all the time. And we see miserable people and we say things like, well, they just need to pull themselves up from their, from their, their, their dilemma. Well, they just need to work harder. They just need to go get an education. They need to stop relying on the government. They need to, right, we, we, we say these things about people. We deal with people all the time, but rarely do we deal with them out of a place of love. You see somebody standing on a bridge and begging for money, and, and we, we've actually convinced ourselves that those people are rich and live in nice homes. And when you find yourself there, you know what you need to do? You need to at that very moment, you can look back and say, God, I am sorry. For I understand. Hear me, friends. I would rather do anything in life than that. I don't even like to ask for help. Anybody else here like that? I don't even like to ask for help. Having to beg, to beg for money to get by, that, that's, that's not appealing to anybody. And so how do you deal with those people? How do you deal when you see somebody that is hurting? What do you do? Do you glaze over it? Do you just look at them and say, well, they need to get their life together? Because too often that's what we do. That's not mercy. Mercy is seeing that person and choosing to deal with them loving. Loving, not judging. Loving is a big deal. Number three. Probably my favorite just because I'm a simple guy. All right? Well, simply put definition of mercy. It is pity in action. It is pity in action. It goes beyond compassion. It goes beyond feeling bad. It goes beyond having pity. This is doing something about all those feelings. It's doing something about all those feelings. This is about... This is, ultimately, friends, this is what Christianity is. The early church wasn't known for their great theology. The early church wasn't known because they were just great God-thinkers. The early church was known and exploded because they were God-doers. Because they saw people that were hurting and helpless and they did something about it, not that they taught something about it. you follow me? And, and my fear today is the American church and the church in general, the global church today, is growing in their knowledge of God, but they're failing in their application of that knowledge. They know a lot of things about God. They study their Bible on their own. They pray, but rarely do they ever help. That's not mercy. Mercy is pity in action. It's pity in action. It's not enough to have pity, friends. You've got to do something about it. Number four. I want you to let this one marinate a bit. But it says, being merciful, having mercy, it means that we have a sense of sorrow for all who are helpless, slaves, we have a sense of sorrow for all that are helpless slaves to sin. Have you studied the condition of sinners lately, friends? I'm afraid we don't do it enough. Open up your Bible someday to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and study the condition of sinners. I, I, I'm going to share with you what it says here. Ephesians chapter 2. It teaches us that those apart from Christ, they are dead in their sins. They're dead. That's where they are. It says that they are all, uh, all they can focus on, that all they can focus on is gratifying their sinful cravings. 
You know, we look at the world today and we say, well, what's wrong with them? Don't they understand? Can't they see what they're doing? And the answer is no. Their whole focus, their focus completely on fulfilling the sinful cravings and desires of their heart. You say, but that doesn't make sense to me. Well, it may not because maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years, but it sure made sense to me before I was a Christian. Have you ever heard the story of, of how an Eskimo kills a wolf? You know how to kill a wolf? You take your blade and you sharpen it. And then you dip it in blood and you freeze it. You dip it in blood again and you freeze it. You dip it in blood and you freeze it. And then you wedge it between some rocks. And hear me, that wolf craves blood so much, they will, they will sniff out that blood popsicle. And they will begin to lick it and lick it and lick it. And the more they do, then their tongue becomes numb. And that blood begins to melt on their tongue. And they begin to lick the bare blade of that knife. And they don't even feel it. All they feel and all they taste is warm blood. And they have a craving for blood so much that they continue to vigorously lick that knife until they bleed out and die. That's who we are in sin. When you look at a lost and dying world and you shake your head because you don't understand them, because you think that they should know better, that's who they are. They are controlled by sin that much. It's a big deal. You've got to see this. Ephesians 2 teaches that they're separate from Christ. They're separate from Christ. It teaches that they are objects of God's wrath. Friends, have you read the book of Revelation? Do you know the wrath of God that will be poured out on mankind? They are objects of that wrath. That's, that's who they are currently. It teaches that they're excluded from citizenship in the kingdom. We're talking about kingdom life and kingdom people. These people have none of that. It says they're foreigners to the covenants. We talked about the new covenant. Remember the old covenant? It was all on us. We had to be righteous. We had to be perfect. The new covenant, God says, I'll be perfect for you. And these guys are foreigners to that. They don't have God standing in their defense. One day they will stand before a holy God and they'll have to pay account for who they were, not for who Jesus was. Because they're foreigners to the covenant. And then the last one, the one that breaks my heart more than anything else. They are without God. And they are completely without hope. And that's who they are. And I, I challenge you, Christians, study your Bible and see how Jesus felt about lost people. When he saw these kind of people, Scripture tells us that he had great compassion on them. He said that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I thought long and hard about that this week. And I, that, how does that make sense for us? Anybody here a shepherd? Maybe there is somebody. We live in Elgin. Anybody? A shepherd? No? Okay. Alright. We have ranchers. I didn't know if we had a shepherd. I, I can't understand what, it, what, it, what a sheep without a shepherd is, but... But here's the best analogy I can give you today. We've got a lot of families in this church that have a heart for adoption, that have either adopted kids or fostering kids or have adopted foster kids, you name it. And here, here's the best analogy I can give you when Jesus looked out over lost people. He saw children without a parent. We study our world today and we hear about the orphan problem of our world today and we know there are kids all over the face of this planet that don't have a parent. And that's how he felt about sinners. Like kids without parents. I wonder, how do you see lost people? Do you stand in judgment? Do you think they just need to change? Do you think they need to pull themselves up out of it somehow? Or do you see them as little kids without an example? 
without a parent. That's how Jesus saw them. That's what mercy is. It's a sense of sorrow for all who are helpless and slaves. Now what does it look like? What does it look like? I'm going to give you three Bible passages to look at this morning. And the first, let's start here with the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting verse 25, 25 through 37. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Uh, but basically, a Pharisee comes to Jesus, and this Pharisee comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, you know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? They were always asking him this question. And Jesus said, Well, I don't know. You're a teacher of the law. Why don't you tell me what it says, big guy? And so the guy says, Well, I, 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 I tell you, I think it, I've got to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I've got to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus is like, Ding, ding, ding. Finally, one of you people got it. He's, he's like, Good. Well, go and do these things, and, and you'll have life. And then verse 29, and this is where it all comes off track. The same Pharisee, it says, to justify himself. And they were always worried about justifying themselves. And he said, to justify himself, he goes to Jesus and says, Well, Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? He's looking for a loophole again. Again, he's looking for a loophole. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story, okay? There's a guy that's on his way from Jerusalem to, to Jericho, and he falls in the hands of bandits, and he is beaten, and he is stripped naked, and, and he's left half dead. Now, get that picture for a second, because imagine that you're driving to church this morning, and you look over in the ditch, and, and really, you've got kids in the car, and there is a half, well, there's a fully naked, uh, half dead, bleeding man on the side of the road, because that's kind of what they experience. And he says, now get this, a priest walks by and sees this man, and so he decides, I'm going to pass on the other side of the road. He passes on the other side of the road. And then a Levite comes by and he does the same thing. But then a Samaritan, who, by the way, a Samaritan for the Jews, I mean, it was, it was, they were like a half-breed. So they, they, and ladies, I'm not trying to offend you, but the Jews, you know, it was always, it was always men and, and then um, women and then dogs. And some of them switched those. I'm not trying to offend you, but truthfully. And then, and then women and then dogs and then pond scum and then Samaritans. They were way down there. So he says, then a Samaritan, this half-breed, half-Jew, goes by and sees this man. And, and so he sees him and he picks him up and he, he takes care of his wounds and he takes him to an end and he pays the guy and says, take care of him. And if, if I owe you anything else, I'll come back and I'll pay you again. Now, which one of these men was his neighbor? And the Pharisee replies, well, I guess the man that showed mercy to him. What is, what, what is, here, here's the deal. As far as we know, all three men had compassion I, 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 I think the priest probably had compassion. Maybe he was thinking, I'm headed to the temple and I, I can't get unclean. There'll be a whole ritual ceremony. Who's going to perform my duties? And, and so maybe he goes by and maybe he's even praying, God, please heal this man. God, send somebody. Right? I mean, maybe he had compassion. Maybe he had pity. And the same thing with the Levite. Maybe he still had pity. But here's the difference. The Samaritan's the only one that took pity and did something about it. He acted on that too. And that's what mercy is. Okay, so that's one example. The second example I'd share with you is the parable of the unmerciful servant. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Sounds like a weird place to find mercy, right? When you're talking about the unmerciful, but it's there, I promise. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. And, and the story Jesus tells is of a king that decides he's going to settle accounts. And so as he's settling his accounts, he, under, he comes to, to find out he's got a servant that owes him a million bucks. He's got a servant that owes him a million dollars. And so he brings this man before him and says, Dude, you owe me a million dollars. 
I, I, I'm done with you. He says, I'm going to sell your wife and your children into slavery and get all that I can for them and you're going to jail. And the guy just begins to fall on his knees and beg, no, please, master, no, please have mercy on me, have compassion. And it says the king is so moved by his speech that he does just that. He has mercy. He takes pity and he acts on it. He removes all of his debt. A million bucks. Okay, can we pause there for a second? Have you ever just thought about a million dollars? You know what I'm saying? I don't mean like lustfully thought about a million dollars. I just mean, you know, if you hold a few hundred dollars, like I've held a thousand dollars in my hand, you know, I'm like, hey, that's a good little chunk of money. A million dollars, right? You owe me a million dollars. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. It's fine. <laughs> what? I want that banker, by the way. That's the one I want. That's the banker I want. Sign me up for that debit card, okay? Ah, so, so he, he, he totally forgives his debt. Now, he's leaving. He's leaving. He has just been shown mercy. He's just been shown mercy, and he leaves. And as he's walking home, he runs across another servant that owes him $10. He owed a million dollars. This guy owes him 10 bucks, and he grabs the guy by the cloak and says, if you won't pay me, you're going to jail, brother. And has him thrown in jail, right? Well, guess what? The other servants are so shocked that it gets back to the king, and so the king bring, brings this man before him. I love what the king basically he says. He says, listen, this is what we just talked about Matthew 6, by the way. He says, evidently, you don't really understand mercy. Evidently, you haven't really received forgiveness, for your life has not changed. You see, I showed you mercy, but you have failed to be merciful. Now, you'll pay the full amount you owe you will not receive that mercy which I freely offer to you because you never understood it. You were never changed by it. You following me? That's the principle we're looking at. It's a big deal. Number three. Last place, and I want you to turn to this one. This is a big deal. When we're looking for mercy, I think we, we've got to look at the cross of Christ. Luke chapter 23. Jesus is, is being crucified. Jesus is, is literally hanging on the cross. Jesus, the, the perfect one, has stood trial falsely. Angry mobs have yelled for His blood. He has walked down a path and had to carry a cross. He has fallen and been beaten. He has been spat upon and had His hair ripped out. Isaiah says that He was marred beyond human likeness. This, this Jesus, this perfect Savior, is now hanging on a cross. And He is hanging on a cross between two thieves and the crowds are still jeering. They are still mocking as they are watching death happen. And I wonder how sick are we as a society when, when watching somebody die is enticing to us. And, and, and we're watching it. And, and, and so the crowds are watching Him die, literally. And they're jeering at Him. And, and, and the next verse says they're casting lots for His clothes. They're so sick and deprived. And listen to what Jesus speaks over such people Luke chapter 23, verse 34, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did Jesus do? He saw that they were sinners. He saw that they didn't know any better. He saw that they were like children without a parent, like sheep without a shepherd. And He said, My God, please forgive them, for they don't know any better. They don't know any better. That is mercy. That is mercy. It is pity in action. Now, 
That's what it is. That's what it looks like. Let me tell you why it's important. Okay, number one. It's important because it's the fifth descriptor of, of Christian. We're looking at kingdom people and we're describing them. That's what we've been doing. This, this is a great descriptor of what believers in Jesus should look like. We should be known. Jesus says, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are to be known as merciful people. John Piper said it this way. I love this. He says, treating others mercifully is the best way to make others see what God uh, to see that God has treated you with mercy. Treating others with mercifully is the best way to make others see that God has treated you with mercy. It's a great descriptor of what it means to be a Christian and a follower. If you want people to see Jesus, show them mercy. Take pity on them and act on it. Okay, number two. Number two. It's important because it changes our attitudes towards others. Now listen, folks, I am the only sinner in the house this morning. I want to confess that. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure I am the only person in this place of worship that has ever looked upon somebody and judged them in their midst of their circumstances, right? I'm the only person that does that here. You don't have to plead guilty. I'll plead guilty before God on your behalf. Right? We see people, instead of acting out of love, we say things like, well, they just need to get off government funding. We see somebody holding a sign by a bridge and say, well, they need to go get a job. We see somebody say, well, they just need to go get an education. Well, they don't deserve to have children. You hearing it? Are you hearing it? They need to go get sobered up. We just keep going and go. I'm, I'm the only one here, right? I'm the only one guilty of that. None of you guys struggle with this. I can tell you're so quiet. I need my attitude towards others to change. I need God to divinely remind me of what He's done for me. This is love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. That's mercy. That's compassion. He saw that I was a sinner. And He saw that, that I was stuck in my sinful cravings. And I was devouring and, and living my whole life to have them fulfilled. God saw that I was separate from Him. He saw that I was an object of wrath. He saw that I was an alien. That I was a foreigner. That, that I wasn't under the new covenant. I didn't have any hope. And I didn't have God. And in the midst of that, God took pity on me. And He acted by sending His Son, Jesus. And then He went even beyond that. Not only did He provide a Savior, then He called me to the Savior. If you're here and you're a Christian, that's what's happened for you as well. God has acted mercifully on your behalf. You've got to do that for others too. It's got to change your attitude towards others. Number three. Again, I know this doesn't apply to anyone else. But we have received mercy and we will need it again. God is not finished with me yet, friend. I had somebody tell me the other day about some action on soccer field. I said, okay, that's me. I pegged it. I, I wasn't going to defend it. Absolutely true. I'm a passionate person. Very passionate about my kids playing sports. I yell and scream. And if an official's wrong, I, I, I'm, I'm a prophet. And I like to say, you're wrong! Um, it's very hard for me. Like, if you see injustice, you want to correct it, Right? Like, you want to just say things like, do you not know your right from your left? Um, I, I know it's not a struggle for you. It's a struggle for me. Struggle for me. Uh, okay, so, so 
we both struggle with it. Though. But here's the deal. When, when I read my Bible, it, it reminds me that God has began a good work in me and that He's going to bring it about to completion. And He's not finished with me. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. And hear me, guys. I, I needed God's mercy. I, I can tell you the sinner that I was, but I can still tell you the sinner that I am. I, I needed God's mercy to be saved, but I need it constantly. That's why it's important. Because we have needed it and we will need it again. Therefore, we've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to share it with others as well. Okay? So here's, here's what you do because it will be done. Number one. Now, these are simple. Or they sound simple. They're easy to write down. They're hard to live out. Okay? Number one. Remember the condition of sinners. Ephesians 2. Just remember the condition of sinners. Some of us have been quote-unquote, saints for so long we forgot what it was like to live in sin. It's a shame. It's a shame. You know what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2? He talks about all their great work and their perseverance and all these things, and he says, remember the height from which you fall and repent and do the things you did. That was a great church. That was a great God-fearing church. He said, you, no, no, no. You go back. You go back and remember what it was like. You repent. You still need repentance. We still need repentance. Remember what it was like. Remember the state of sinners. Remember it. Read Ephesians 2. Let it break your heart. Weep and mourn and wail over the state of sin in our world. Number two. Have pity. Have pity. Feel bad. When you catch yourself making an excuse for feeling bad, repent. When you catch yourself trying to explain away the fact that you're judging someone, repent. Say, God, I'm sorry, I'm judging. God, I'm, I don't know. The, do you know the situation of the man at the bridge? Do, do you know the situation of the lady? You know, I heard some you know, of the lady in line uh, using food stamps to buy whatever, you know? I mean, I've done that. I've been at Dollar General and I've seen someone, you know, buy formula with their food stamp card and, and then, you know... <laughs> Buy a whole bunch of stuff that's, that's not what you would consider great stuff. You go, wait a second, why, why are you having all the luxuries of life when, when you're struggling here? It's easy to judge, man. It's easy for us to judge. But here's the deal, when we catch ourselves there, I have to make myself repent. I've got I've to instead have pity. God, I'm so sorry. Help me to see them. Help me to see them in you, okay? And here's the last one. Take action. You can feel bad all you want, but unless you do something about it, unless you do something about it, you don't look like Jesus. You can wear the Christian t-shirts and listen to the Christian music. You can call yourself a member of First Baptist and put on bumper stickers that have the little fish, swallowing the Darwin fish. You can do all those things, but unless you are taking action unless you are seeing hurt and doing something about it to change the world around you, then you're not living this out. And you're not living this out. So when Jesus says, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is what he's talking about. If we don't have any light to offer a dying world, then how dark is this world? I pray that challenges you. I pray it challenges you to your core. And I pray this morning that you talk with the Lord about it. And you let Him change your heart. You pray with me.